1: Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue R Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me as always are Tyler and Alex. Alex, that must have been a fun
2: night for you, man. How you doing? Uh, it was fun. But, uh, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, either the greatest night of my life would have happened or the worst night of my life would have happened. So, you know, I can't predict the future. Uh, I know we got Casper the Friendly Ghost over there uh, in his, you know, blue jersey. Uh, I can't, I, you know, I don't know really what happened because it looks like a normal colored jersey, but uh, it's an interesting look. Tyler, how are you doing? Man? Yeah,
3: thank you very much. I've been going for that. Uh, I know I've been ghostly white because of quarantine. So I'm trying to get Tanner, but I guess my jersey is trying to follow that ghost look as well. Hey, at least this Melvin Gordon jersey is finally worth something,
1: so that's good. I can probably do <laughs> something yeah. useful with it. <laughs> yeah, I think if you uh, replace the the Gordon with our names, I think it might increase in value. I don't know. Um, we've, got a fun, <laughs> we've got a fun show for you guys planned today. We are recording this on Saturday. So first and foremost, hope, hope that all the fathers out there had a great Father's Day, uh, and hopefully the rest of you you know, celebrated your fathers in some kind of way. And happy Juneteenth as well. Um, big weekend for uh, everybody involved so hopefully you're having a great weekend hopefully you're staying cool Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the defensive tackle uh, position room for this Chargers team we're also going to talk a little bit about the four signings that the Chargers have recently done Um, but we're going to start off with kind of a national conversation that seems to be going on with the Chargers and specifically about Justin Herbert um and keenan allen kind of started this off for a little bit you know kind of started our interest at least um saying that he thinks that the chargers are are still underrated a little bit by the media um we kind of heard joey bosa share his excitement about the moves that the chargers have made uh specifically highlighting that the offensive line looks awesome so tyler we'll start with you do you think the chargers are currently being underrated Or do you think they're being properly rated by the uh, national media pundits?
3: I think they're being properly rated and have been probably properly rated for most of my fandom, which is they are the surprise Super Bowl team. Um, I don't think the the last time they're probably considered like a Super Bowl contender was or at least going into the season was probably 2019 coming off the 2018 season where they went 12 and four. It's like, let's take that next step forward. And they never did. It got worse. Mm, Yeah. But otherwise, like them being considered, you know, the sneaky kind of surprise team. I think that's about right. Like, could they make the jump to a wild card? Absolutely. Are they going from seven and nine to, you know, 16 and one? No, I I don't think so. So I think they're being properly rated. Are some players overlooked? Potentially. Like, I do think Keenan can be overlooked. I believe his thing is that he's now the 16th best wide receiver, according to whatever poll or ranking that there was. Um, but no, I think they're properly rated. I think they've always just kind of been that same sleeper, 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 because the talent has always give or take been there, but never they never really put it together in the end. so but I think they're about right,
2: yeah, I think they're properly rated as well, and also there's like some skepticism on the part of the national media because like every year it's like, oh man, this is my surprise Super Bowl team. Watch out for these sleepers. They're gonna win <laughs> the AFC West, and then they don't. So you know, if you keep yeah. saying it every year. Um, it's a problem when it doesn't happen. And, you know, ultimately the Chargers, while I think they have had very talented teams and obviously very talented players, they have won 10 plus win season in the last decade. Um, not by any means, is that a perfect metric? There have been bad coaching decisions and all that, but like, until you consistently prove it to the national media, you know, and they care when the games are going to get played, not when you sign Corey Lindsley and make all these moves. Like, yes, I think yeah. that those help the team. And we know that they help the team, but they're not going to know it until you actually show it on the field. And so I, I you know, I, I get where Keenan Allen is coming from. And there is part of it where they are underrated because they still are the little brother in LA uh, a little bit. Uh, but to me, you know, it's just like, you know, we've we've seen the offseason hype for all of my lifetime and probably both of your lifetimes as well. Yeah. So to me, I think that, you know, the Chargers are generally properly rated at the beginning of seasons.
1: Yeah, it's been tough, obviously, right? You know, with the end of the Mike McCoy era and, you know, the Anthony Lynn era, it's been tough to really consider this team contenders. I do think right now we're looking at, you know, kind of an uphill climb and ascending team. Um, but I, I've always been a big believer that until the product on the field matches the expectations and you can't really, you know, be worthy of being called a contender in the off season, right? Because everybody knows that the Kansas city chiefs are a contender because they've proven it. Everybody knows that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are contenders right now because they've proven it. The saints, the Packers, all these teams that, you know, we think are title contenders it's because they've proven it. And so I, I think Tyler's point to maybe our, some players are being underrated. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the good morning football conversations about Justin Herbert <laughs> this week were so, so bad. Like, it, it, you know, the I understand, like, maybe some people are, are a little worried about Justin Herbert striking like light, lightning in a bottle last year. Um, but the reasoning for, you know, that particular so, show choosing – Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert or Tua over Justin Herbert are just dumb. Like, I mean, Justin Herbert had this amazing rookie season and, you know, is, tr- is trying to prove that he can take an MVP-sized leap. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow's got to prove that he's healthy, and Tua's got to prove that he belongs in the league. So uh, those conversations in particular where I was like, okay, like this is absolutely something that should not be happening. This is someone that is still being underrated. And, you know, Kyle Brandt saying that Joe Burrow has moxie because he was smoking a cigar. It's like, come on, man, that's that's a bunch of bull crap. Like, we're, we're still talking about the narrative of Justin Herbert not being a leader like that. That just really irritated me yesterday when I saw that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's just frustrating because you do want the team's success to match Herbert's success, or you know, going back in the day, the team's success to match Philip Rivers' success because we, you know, regard right. Philip Rivers highly, and I think most people do. Uh, you know, he's uh, what is he top five in you know uh, most passing categories, most yeah. most, pass, most passing categories. You know, either you know in front of or behind Marino. Like, so to me, you know, he's a really great quarterback, but. To to most people, it's like oh well, he was nine and seven, seven and nine every year, or he choked in the playoffs, or mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and you know, football more than any other sport, I think, uh, is a team game ultimately. So it's just like you have to have the talent to match that, and you have to execute to be able to match your quarterback's level. So I I just hope going into the future that this team isn't the paper tiger and they actually match Justin Herbert's you know level that he showed last year.
3: God, I hope the national media's narrative is not again to look at record again for these things. We went through this last season, I thought. Yeah. And I it's it sucks that these these programs, these groups, these talking heads who your job is just to watch football. Like good morning football. You all you have to do is watch football. Right. And yet, if you turn on any game for the Chargers, it's a missed Michael Badgley field goal. It's not going for it on fourth down, which isn't Herbert's call it's um you know mike williams and donald parham dropping the ball in the end zone twice uh well once but each you know total twice like i just hate that idea that it's the record that defines the quarterback it's not and you know it's one thing if you know herbert was a turnover machine like you could pin a lot of games on rivers even though the game as a whole like yeah sure it's a team sport but at the end of the game rivers would turn that ball over Robert had like, had like 10 interceptions and like the lowest interceptable right ball rate in the NFL. So it's not even like it's his fault. You know, it's oh, yeah. not like he's turning the ball over and, and forcing the team to lose. He's doing everything he can. They're like, yeah, he's not as good as to like, I don't know. I don't like it. I hope I hope we don't repeat this. And I'm surprised that anyone is is kind of repeating the whole record thing. Or just any reason to doubt Herbert because that clearly didn't work last season. So why repeat it going into this year? I'm not really sure.
2: Well, I mean, and also, like, the national media, let's just get this out of the way. They don't watch games. Uh, I don't believe any of them watch <laughs> yeah. games. I believe they're all frauds. Uh, I love Stephen A. Smith's yeah. personality. But Stephen A. Smith, going into that sure. Thursday night game in 2018, said that Hunter Henry uh, and Derek Johnson was the matchup oh, yeah. to watch. Hunter Henry tore ACL, <laughs> yeah. and Derek Johnson wasn't on the Chiefs. Um, yeah. So it's just like, you know, there are moments like that from the national media. Uh They're frauds. They don't watch games. Uh And so to me, I I take that opinion about Joe Burrow to mean absolutely jack shit.
1: Yeah. And it's like, are we going to sit here and pretend that Joe Burrow won a ton of games last year before he got hurt? Like the Bengals were awful <laughs> with him. So and yeah. Tua, uh, the Dolphins were good despite him. Like, so I don't know, like wins and, and losses. Like I, I understand. You know, players are ultimately judged on Super Bowls, but when you're talking about, like, rookies and, like, breakout players and stuff like that, like, wins and losses should not matter at all. And, you know, Justin Herbert did win more games than the both of them. He won six games as a starter. So it's like, can we stop that narrative? So um, it's an interesting Mm -hmm. conversation. Obviously, the Chargers have to prove it on the field. Um, You know, we've kind of talked a little bit about some of our expectations for those players, uh, and obviously we hope that they are able to reach those. So... Um, the Chargers did sign four new players yesterday. Uh, they announced the signings of Willie Yarberry, Damon Lloyd. Yarberry is a defensive lineman. Damon Lloyd, a linebacker. Matt Seibert, a tight end. And Michael Bandy, the wide receiver. So these players were all out of the spring league, which I learned was a thing like literally yesterday. I had no idea that this was <laughs> happening. Um So to me, like, I think these are training camp bodies. Like, we'll see. I mean, I'll never, you know, flat out say that this player does not have a chance to make the roster because the Chargers have such a strong history of, you know, so-and-so dark horse player making the roster. But it feels like these players are just training camp bodies. I don't know if both of you share that same kind of thought, Um, but that's what it seems like to me. Uh, Alex is okay. I'll go. No, I'm not uh, frozen. Yeah, dude, I didn't know we were covering this topic today, so I have not watched a
3: single bit of any. Yeah. I, I have no idea who these guys are. I, the, only, the only takeaway I had was Damon Lloyd sounded like Devin Lloyd. And I was like, oh, is that the Utah guy? I would have been so happy. So, that's <laughs> as far as my analysis went, though.
2: Yeah, I, I think that these are all training camp bodies at the end of the day. But, you know, with the preseason and with the training camp this year, you know, you can't. Discount like the small possibility that they do make it. Um, but, you know, to me, it's just bodies to push uh, the team that they have right now uh, and some of those end of the roster guys. Uh, I wouldn't say no chance, like Tyler said, but uh, I think it's going to be really hard. I-, I guess the one that I could see maybe cracking it just due to position again. I haven't watched any of these guys, except, you know, some Matt Seibert highlights that somebody posted on Twitter. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the defensive lineman Yarbury, just because I think they're a little thin at that position, uh, and you consider like Cortez Broughton and like some of the guys that are there at the end, you know, maybe he can make a push. But uh, I do ultimately believe these are training camp bodies. And, you know, if you have the possibility of going up to 90 players anyway, they're at 86 now after these signings. Uh, you don't. You only have to cut down to eighty-five, I think, after the first one or two weeks of the preseason. So, you know, you may as well do it and and just stack talent there, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's no harm in taking a shot on these kind of players. Um, you know, like I said, you never know like who's going to make a Chargers roster. And uh, the so they have the four spots remaining if they want to sign anybody else. I, I think the only takeaway that I have is it seems that with those spots if they do decide to sign someone that they might lean more towards you know an undrafted free agent kind of player instead of you know going out and signing you know a a veteran that that could bolster the depth so we'll have to see obviously if someone gets injured that could change but um for now it looks like they are focusing on kind of the uh diamonds in the rough area instead of you know a veteran presence kind of thing right
3: so out there
1: Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Great time. So we're going to move on to the focus of this episode, which is the defensive tackle position room. Uh, we, we kind of talked a little bit about who we expect to make the roster, but today we're going to dive a little deeper and we're going to continue to do this with the other positions on the roster as well throughout the summer. Uh, we've got about five weeks until training camp starts. So we've got a lot of questions. Uh, to talk about what these position groups and, and how they, how they're sorted out. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing for me in, in terms of this defensive tackle group is can they survive an injury? Can they survive, you yeah. know, Linvon Joseph missing a few games or Jerry Tillery missing a few games or Justin Jones missing a few games? Because like we said on our live stream yesterday, Last year, they had Damian Square, who was a very reliable player. This year, I don't know if they have that kind of player on the roster. I don't know if I trust Braden Fajoko's development, if he's thrust into a starting role, or Cortez Brown, or whoever they choose. So the biggest question mark to me is specifically, what happens if Linvaud Joseph goes down? Because he was the most productive player of the trio. I know he didn't have any sacks, but he was... A bright spot in terms of the pass rusher. He was you know looking like his old self uh in terms of a run stopper. And he looks like he's in great shape right now, but he is over thirty. You never know if those kind of players are going to get injured. So my biggest question mark is what happens to this group if Limbaugh Joseph goes down?
2: Yeah, I I think that's a fair question to have based on, you know, the last season where you saw defensive linemen get edges or tackles start to drop. And then you saw that production come down. Um, I, I think the biggest name who would probably have to step up in that position is Justin Jones if that were to happen. Uh, And, you know, the run defense was notably worse when he was off the field uh, as well, in addition to whenever Joseph uh, didn't play a snap. So to me, that would be the most natural fit if that were to happen. Uh, But, I mean, you would also have to have everybody step up. And to me, the guy who, you know, we'll get into this later, but the guy who disappeared when guys dropped was Jerry Tillery. Um, And so to me, that's the thing to watch is – you know, the conditions aren't always going to be optimal. Joey Bosa may have to miss a game. Uchenna Wosu may have to miss a game somewhere along the line. And so to me, uh, if you have Jerry Tillery uh, with a fully healthy defensive line, then I think he's great. Uh, but if you don't, then I-, I don't really know if he can, you know, kind of carry a line by himself. Maybe that's an unfair expectation, but, you know, they did spend a first-round pick on him. Uh, and so to me – they are looking for a bit more of that dynamic pass rusher that we saw in week one and week two uh, of last year and less, well, what well, we saw the rest of the season. So I would say that those two guys, if Linval Joseph does get hurt or even if he just shown some decline due to aging, those are the yeah. two guys that gotta step up.
3: Yeah, this is Pretty much in line with the question that I had for the defensive tackle or defensive line group. you know even even last year with the Rams, they had Sebastian Joseph Day. It was a name that no one really recognizes, but he commanded a lot of double teams or he at least took on two guys and even just in two hundred and eleven run snaps, run defense snaps, he had forty two slow tackles and thirty three run stops. And so this is like, I mean, and, and for Joseph to do that, that's great. I do totally believe that he can do that. But like you said, as soon as he goes down, what is this team going to do? And I, I tried not to go like on the one hand, I'm like, well, if he goes down, then this happens. This is, I tried not to go too far down that list. because At some point, if they're just out of talent, they're just out of talent. But, you know, they've really committed. And this is kind of my question too, as well, adding to your question is, is their move towards a more, you know, like involve Joseph has lost weight. So is is that weight loss, the focus on speed and gap penetration, getting after the quarterback, is that a good move long-term for this team? And I guess long-term, I mean, like for an entire season, you know, of course, like as Arjun has said, the whole goal of this defense and the Staley defense, as I guess as it should be in the NFL, is to get after the passer. And I totally get that. But, you know, what happens when the injuries behind these players start to happen? You know, There's not a other than Nasir Adderley. There's not a single safety or edge player or linebacker on this team who started last season. who either either didn't suffer a season-ending injury or had some sort of injury or had some sort of off-season shoulder surgery. You know, everyone was hurt. So what happens after that? And if you're relying on those guys to stop the run, and that's completely fine. You have the talent uh, from all 11 starters to do that. But as those guys start to go, and let's say Joseph starts to decline, what is your plan up front to free up Nick Neiman and Alohi Gilman at strong safety? Like, what what is your plan at that point? And so... You know, the depth certainly concerns me. Is it Fajoko? Perhaps. I'd be I'd be glad if it was. But, I mean, right now it's really thin. And there's a reason that a lot of us were trying to take either Shelvin or McGill, I believe. No, who is it? Who's the other defensive? McNeil. Was it McGill? McNeil. It's Thank McNeil. you. Ali McNeil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a reason we're all trying to take one of those guys, you know, sometime day three instead of like a Trey McKitty or even a Josh Palmer. Because as soon as Joseph goes down, I start to worry. And then as soon as those back end players behind them start to go down. Do they have the talent up front to free him up? I don't think so at all.
1: Yeah, I. It feels like the defensive line group, and this kind of includes pressure, but it it Mm -hmm. feels like this year's version of last year, where it was like, "Well, are the Chargers going to regret not addressing this depth at a at a more um, Mm -hmm. violent level, if you want to say?" So, I think you know the depth that. The depth on defense in general is not great. I'm, I'm okay with the depth at cornerback. I'm okay with the depth at linebacker. Um, but the depth at mm-hmm. defensive tackle is is very concerning because, you know, I just, like, at least if, you know, one of the linebackers get hurt, like they drafted Nick Neaton. At least if one of the safeties gets hurt, they have Mark up who they drafted. But, you know, if any of these players go on the defensive tackle group go down, the next one is Braden Fajoko, like an undrafted free agent, or or I guess Christian Covington, who, I mean, he's been a solid veteran, but I, I wouldn't trust him as much as, say, a Damian Square. So it, it is going to be interesting. Like Tyler said, you know, it seems like this this coaching staff is going for their defensive tackles to be map shooters and disruptors instead of, you know, flow the traffic and, and, you know, make sure you're not giving ground. So, Maybe that brings up more production and and maybe that allows Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery to, you know, be more aggressive and be more natural and make more plays, which is obviously a good thing. But, you know, we won't know that until really we do this defense in action.
2: And I think another kind of problem is. I think a lot of people in the defense, uh, defense defensive tackle group specifically, do sort of one thing well, but they're not fully kind of uh, you know dimensional yet, right? Like we talk about Justin Jones. Justin Jones is a really good run defender, but you know he doesn't offer you much as a pass rusher. The opposite is true of Jerry Tillery, who offers you some as a pass rusher for sure. But you know he's a terrible run defender, uh, and so that's a, a real problem, yeah. and and why he was kind of unplayable on the edge, and and some of the stuff that we saw last season. Um, so to me, th- that's really going to be an issue if guys go down, because I believe Linval Joseph can do both. Right? I know he didn't have a sack last year, but he had 20 pressures. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can get after the run, or you know bring uh, bring down a passer, but. It's just not going to work, I think, if unless you get some more development from those guys. Uh, and I think that's going to be the issue going into the season is do you see more development from them uh, in a way that, given that Joseph is going to his final year and getting older, that allows you to kind of move on from him potentially next season. Or do you have to resign him to another one or two year deal because you're still kind of seeing the same. They're about to break through, but they haven't break uh, broken through things from, you know, both Tillery and Jones. Yeah, you know, I've been on
1: record. I think right now my pick for breakout player of the year for the Chargers is going to be Jerry Tillery. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I expect him to be a perfect player, and it doesn't mean I'm unaware of, you know, his limitations that Alex is talking about. You know, you're looking if you pull up the pro football-focused uh, defensive grades for the Chargers. You see Jerry Tillery had 35 pressures last year, three sacks. Uh, 21 tackles he only had 15 run stops which is less than justin jones and barely more than damian square um but i just think you look at jerry tilly's first eight games and that's kind of what i've been focusing on and, and like certainly there you can make an argument for other players on this team to be breakout players i think to me like you're when i look at someone who's a breakout player you're looking at someone who haven't seen, like, a full body of work yet. Like, that's why, personally, yeah. I I don't choose, like, a Kenneth Murray as a breakout guy because, you know, he had 100 tackles in a scheme that didn't fit him. Like, we've seen him play well. We've seen Drew Triple play well. But for me, it's Jerry Tillery, and I totally understand, you know, the concerns. But to me, like, look at the first eight games, the team was relatively healthy. You know, you have – Basically, 60% of his production came in the first eight games. And then, you know, after the week nine Raiders game, it's, you know, one pressure here, one pressure there, zero pressures against the Patriots. And and it's just not great pressure. And it's just not great production. But like I said, you know, the first eight games, you're seeing this player who looked like a different player from his rookie season, looked more explosive, looked like he, you know, was on his way and really showed ashes of dominance. And so that, for me, is why I'm choosing Jerry Tillery as the breakout player for the Chargers. Totally understand the skepticism. Totally get that he needs to improve as a run defender because that is absolutely accurate. Um, but I just think you're looking at someone who's shown flashes, and, and in my opinion, is ready to to take that next step.
2: I guess my question I on the
1: ti- it. Oh.
2: yeah, I guess my question on the Tillery thing too is, you know, is he was it really the first eight games last year because? I really think it was the first two or three that he was kind of explosive. And then I think you sort of saw really a dip when both Melvin Ingram and Justin Jones went down. Um, And, you know, you talk about 60% of his production came in those first eight games. But I would imagine that probably 80% of that 60% of his production came in those first two or three games. Um, his, His
1: best game was week eight against Denver. He had six pressures, one sack two hits, three hurries. Um, If you want me to do the whole rundown, I can. He had three total pressures in week one with one sack, one hurry, one uh, hit. Week two, he had five pressures, three hits, two hurries. Week three was basically goose egg. Uh, Week four, he had one pressure, zero sacks, one hit. Week five against the Saints, two pressures, zero sacks, zero hits, two hurries. Um, Week seven against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he had four pressures, zero sacks, zero hits, four hurries. Week eight, like that six six uh, total pressures, one sack, two hits, th- three hurries. And then uh, week nine against the Raiders, he had three total pressures, one sack, zero hits, two hurries. So,
2: I mean, okay, so I, I'm willing to say like, hey, you know, you got four good games in there. Uh, I think yeah. for sure, like out of those eight or nine, but like, okay, you got three pressures in the Raiders game and he had the sack and Derek Carr, you know, at the end of that first half. But, you know, that also balances out with all the things that he did poorly in that game on the edge. And that's not totally fair to him that's because, fair. again, he was moving to the edge of that game. I, you know, I just think he, he kind of showed up and, and disappeared at times, you know, depending on how, how the flow of the game was going. And if you really uh, want fair, him, yeah. Yeah, to, to be a, you know, game changing pass rusher, I think that he just has to be more not just talking about run defense, but more consistent all around right like if you're kind of bouncing around between well and you know four pressures one game zero pressures the next uh, i think that's really right. where you get into trouble with uh, tillery
3: i guess my question then would be looking at the stats looking at the games whatever like this is a guy who definitely improved from week 17 of 2019 to week one of 2020 despite having no right. preseason games barely any practice no true offseason he did improve so making that leap Totally understandable. My question for, I guess, you know, Stephen or Alex if be watched, it, I know Stephen did a whole breakdown. What then was the reason for his hot start followed by kind of sharp-ish decline? Was it just the move? Was it lack of players around him? Was it conditioning? All of the above? Like, what would you say is was the maybe the main reason? And then is that something that would get fixed this year? Or like, is this something that can be avoided this year?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, I think a combination of all things. Like, Alex pulls out, you know, him being on the edge specifically against the Raiders. And I think when you're looking at Jerry Tillery, he's not someone that should be on the edge on the front side of plays, which is what he was doing when he was playing defensive. And, you know, Gus Bradley called it the big end. And I understand, like, you want to experiment a little bit with Jerry Tillery as an edge rusher. Um, and I know, like, Gavino boys and some others think that maybe that's, like, where he's best suited as an edge rusher. If they were more in a 4-3 scheme, I could see that. But to me, you know, this whole focus of, you know, getting players in the right spots, like, to me, you put Jerry Tillery at, you know, a 5 technique or a, or a 3 eye, and you kind of let him wreak havoc. And, you know, we see, like, he saw flashes a bit last year when he was a rookie, rather against the Bears, right? Like a couple of really good plays on the backside, you know, shooting through the gap and, and chasing down on her. I think that's what you're getting with Jerry Tillery. I think, you know, he's one of the biggest players this coaching staff didn't really know how to use, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would have totally understood if they had a full offseason, like, you know, experimenting more with him at the edge. But frankly, mm-hmm. they just didn't have any other options, right? Like Bosa goes down, Ingram goes down, and Mose was hurt. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when all three of them were out at the same time. And so it was, all right, well, we don't have anybody else. Let's put Jerry Tillery out there. So I think it was just Mm – he probably did get worn down a little bit condition-wise, you know, and I just think it wasn't really a good fit with him. So I totally understand. I think Alex is right. I think there are concerns about consistency. Um, But, again, like like when I'm picking a breakout player, like I want to see someone who's – shows flashes, shows dominance at, at some times, and is able to maybe take that step. And if it's if he doesn't pan out, then this is it for him. This is a make or break season for him. And if he doesn't pan out and if Limbaugh's older, then this team's defensive tackle class is in trouble. They gotta go attack that aggressively next year. It's gonna be just like the offensive line this year. So um, I'm totally aware of what yeah. Alex is saying. I think those are all fair criticisms. Um, I just personally think that the flashes you know show me a future breakout.
2: I, I would also just say, you know, the, the flashes and the athleticism that you do see are great, and I also right. think it's a matter of him becoming more disciplined too, because yes, you know he did commit eight penalties oh, yeah. last year, yep. three in a two-game stretch against the Bills and the Patriots that really cost the Chargers not so much against the Patriots because I lost by forty-five points, but <laughs> it did cost the Chargers against oh, yeah. the Bills, uh, certainly in a you know game that was decided mm-hmm. by you know ten points. So to me, like. You know, when guys go down around you, what are you, I guess, at that point? Is he the same player or, or the same player that we saw in weeks one and two? Or, you know, does he kind of decline and not just decline, but get into his own head about what's going on in the field around him? Like, because to yeah. me, that was sort of the issue, too. Not just like, oh, he's not getting sacks or pressures, but he looked kind of rattled, I guess, is the term I would use. Uh, just out there. And I think you saw that in, in the later half of the season. Um, but obviously, yeah, hopefully, you know, it is healthy, but I do think even if, you know, if the line isn't healthy and you guy, have guys that have to miss games, like I just think he can't be that undisciplined and, and cost the teams like he did in the Buffalo game. Yeah, yeah I absolutely,
1: agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. I, I think I remember the roughing the passer penalty he had, Josh, he had on Josh Allen and it was like, Two seconds after I had thrown the ball at it, it was just kind of like, what are you doing? What are you seeing here? So that absolutely is a fair criticism as well.
2: Right. I mean, it was more than two seconds. That was like five Mississippi's. <laughs> I, I was counting it. <laughs> it more. All right. Oh, so, man. yeah,
1: good times ahead. So, obviously, you know, we're ready for this group to, to put it together. Um, Alex, any – chance you see like the Justin Jones breakout as a pass rusher or you know what do you what do you because you've been the biggest fan of him of the three of us so what do you make of Jones in year four
2: I don't know if you really he will really break out as a pass rusher I think if he's used more that way you can get a little bit more production there to me it's also just like an expectations thing with him because like to me Tillery has greater potential like as a pass rusher, as an overall game wrecker. So to me, like him not reaching that uh, potential is a bit more, you know, disturbing at times versus Justin Jones. I think right now, maybe he ends up being the long-term replacement for Linval Joseph. Maybe he doesn't, but I think it's just kind of stopping the run. And like that run defense really went downhill last year when he wasn't there. Uh, You know, they held Mixon to, you know, nothing. Those that first week, they yeah. held Clyde Edwards layer up big time in week two. Then he goes down and they, you know, start to have a string of, of bad games. Um, and, you know, it didn't get too much better when he came back in, in fairness. But uh, I think that just him being there um, is as a body, I think is more important because he's a guy that, you know, based on like what we would see on PFF is a 60, you know, 70 graded, you know, uh, defensive tackle and he can tackle well, does not really miss uh, very often. So to me, uh, I, I think he's just really a physical uh, force to have there. Um, I, I don't know if he's ever going to break out into a passer shirt in the way that Limbaugh Joseph is, but I think just having him on the field, uh, hopefully for all of 2021, that's really uh, what I think it should be. Uh, and I think with Brandon Staley as a defensive coordinator, I think he can draw, you know, maybe Joey Bosa gets double teamed and that allows, you know, Justin Jones to get uh, a one-on-one that he really likes or something like that or maybe he just gets you know a free sack or something uh, because of Brandon Staley's ingenuity
3: are we defining breakout for him as in like he becomes a better pass rusher or because to me like you say he's like better against the run and that might be his role especially if Joseph goes down okay yeah. so is, is Justin Jones one of those guys that's losing weight this off season, or is it just Joseph uh, and Jones is off as well Okay. Because I think I said in a recent or previous episode when we talked about some of these guys that, you know, for me, in the one game that I watched of Justin Jones, granted, just one game against the Raiders, he was either not big and strong enough to hold up or he was just not quite fast enough either. So it seems like they're leaning towards that faster side, which is great. That's awesome. And I do think leaning towards that is is really great for him. And so, sure, he could, he could break out as a pass rusher, but then, or is he receding then as as a run defender? (laughs) I don't know. I, I just have a lot of questions about that they're, them being too committed to one thing, which is an important thing, but not the other. So, like, yeah, could he break out as a pass rusher? Yeah, I think so. And like you said, staying consistent and healthy for 17 games would be awesome. It'd also be the first time he's healthy for 17 games because they've never played a 17 game schedule. But um, yeah, and I just <laughs> stupid.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I it's, it's dumb. <laughs> Uh forget it. Alex oh, yeah. move on. Forget it. Um, uh, but to your point, I, like I, I think a breakout scene for Justin Jones, like yeah, I think it's to a lesser scale of a sure than I would assume Jerry Tillery becomes. Um, you know, Justin Jones had 14 total last year. He only had uh 300 pass re- reps. Um, so I think for him if he could get up to like twenty-five pressure and he only had, to, he had one sack last year so maybe you know like three or four like i think that would be consistent of a breakout as a pass rusher. and we did hear last off season you know that's Bradley and gift smith and those guys were saying that you know they liked what he was doing as a pass rusher they felt like he could take that next, next step um unfortunately it didn't really come to fruition but you know getting back to alex's point cff grade uh, he's their third highest graded run defender with 79.2. That's a really, really good grade for you know your presumably third defensive tackle. Um, he was only trailing Joey Bosa and Denzel Perryman in uh run
2: defense grade on PFF. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a fair point to bring up. I didn't know it was 79 because I haven't had access to PFF because they raised their prices. <laughs> Um, but, um
3: we share know. the same thing
2: oh i don't know i tried logging into that thing and it doesn't allow me to view it i don't know i gave up on it i just see when pff posts the numbers uh so i don't i didn't know if it was 79 <laughs> but he had been that way for for a couple seasons just consistently being yeah. you know uh, a 70 graded player on pff maybe that doesn't mean a lot of things because you know fuck pff and all that <laughs> but to, to, to me, that's just, you know, he was a standard good player, doesn't miss tackles. Um, I, I don't think he'll ever develop into the pass rusher that Jerry Tillery can become. Uh, yeah. But I think if he at least starts to get the ball rolling on getting pressures like Linval Joseph does, that to me would be not a breakout season, but it would be a successful 2021 season.
3: The starting group here has a pass rush productivity of 4.4, 3.3, and 2.6. That's great. For reference, M.K. Aguilé's pass rush productivity is 6.8. So that's the oh, three man. we're dealing
1: with here. Oh, man. That's that's no fun. Um, yeah, I saw that Brandon Thorne, um, he's got his own metric for the company that he works with. Um, and he mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. rated uh, in the top 50 defense tackles in terms of pass rush efficiency. And I think Tillery was like 47. So um, not great. Dude. And um absolutely aware of those, those limitations. Like I've said, um, you know, but I, I, do think, you know, the flashes we'll, ha- we'll have to see. Um, I'm going right. to do a film, another film breakdown on Tillery this week. Uh, once I get some time to to watch some film of his. So um, stay tuned for that. Alex, what were you going to say?
2: I just want to ask one more question um, just because we do know uh, gift Smith is coming back, right? We know Jay Rogers is here. Uh, In addition to Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill, um, how do we feel about the defensive line coaching staff in comparison to last year? I guess Smith is still here, Um, but how do we feel about that group as a whole? Because I sort of feel okay with it, but I'm not like, you know, jumping up and down exactly. Uh, But what do you guys think? So uh, Daniel
1: Popper pointed out that. Um Jay Rogers is working with the edge rushers, Joey Bosa, mm. Bosu, all those guys. Mm. And Gift Smith is doing the defensive tackles. So they kind of all they right. have kind of separated them, um, which is kind of interesting because Gift Smith pretty much stayed on the roster, stayed on the staff because of his relationship with Joey Bosa, um <laughs> specifically. So <laughs> I don't know, man. Like Jay Rogers, you know, it's kind of a wait-and-see approach, obviously, but Jay Rogers has a fantastic reputation for the most out of his pass rushers and you can throw Brandon Staley in there as well right so I think between the 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 three of them I feel very confident in his defensive line coaching staff personally um you know and I think if this coaching staff is able to get the most out of Tillery you know get Nwosu to be you know carry his efficiency over to a full season I think the defensive line could be hands obviously depends on health and depth and stuff like that but in terms of the coaching staff on on the defensive line front, I'm I'm very confident.
3: Yeah, I feel pretty confident about it as well. Just looking at you know the history of the guys and you know Giff Smith. I think some things are hit or miss. Like Jerry Tiller hasn't quite had that breakout season yet, but then it's no longer his problem. Now it's not Jay Rogers' problem, and I do like that they have. If that's how they're parsing it out, where it's Giff Smith has the edge guys, and then Jay Rogers has the interior guys. The I think that's around. great because then Staley's the third. Oh. Giff is, doing, Giff, no, Giff is doing
1: um, defensive tackles. Jay Rogers is doing edge rushers. Sorry if I misspoke there earlier, but Jay Rogers has the edge. Giff has the interior. Really? Yeah. Uh, really? Are you sure? That sounds... <laughs> that's, what, that's what Daniel Popper said, man, in, in his article at The Athletic. He said that specifically I remember him saying that Joey Bosa is working with Jay Rogers and not usually with, Giff's, like, not with Giff Smith yeah. like he has been in the past. Um, And that seems to be, they can mix it up, right? Like it's not that much different, sure. you know, coaching edge rushers versus defensive tackles and maybe they rotate it. I imagine they will. Um, But Danny Popper did say mm-hmm. in this mining camp, when Bosa was there, he was working with Jay Rogers.
3: Well, he's technically their run game coordinator too, right? So I guess I suppose like yeah. that extension of the run support was good, but Give Smith taking on the defensive tackle, like I I speak highly of Smith for what he's done with someone like Bosa or Mosu or the consistency with Ingram, but I'm not really sure if I'm a fan of his at the defensive tackle group. But either way, even if you have two different guys, like I'll take the edge rushers, you take the interior guys, and then Staley's overseeing the whole scheme. I think that's good for the team because there's so much learning that has to be done with this these front this front seven or the front, I guess three and then and two. But so but I don't know if I like that combination.
2: And I think in general, there's going to have to be some collaboration. It can't be completely separate anyway, because like if bodies do start to drop and, you know, you have to start having uncomfortable conversations like, hey, do we start Chris Rumpf this week? Or do we start Jerry Tillery, Uh, which hopefully doesn't happen. But like, you know, as you know, bodies drop and, you know, you got to figure stuff out. Like there has to be collaboration. And and Jay Rogers being run game coordinator specifically um, for, for a group that's struggled against the run like that's going to be important too. So I I really don't think there's any way that they're not kind of both working uh, on both units, but, you know, I do think they will obviously specialize a bit like Popper said.
1: Yeah. And, and when it comes to like on the practice field, like they're doing the same drills, like there, there's not going to be much difference. You know, you're, you're, you know, attacking the pass rush cone or, or whatever the case may be, you're all doing the same things. It's just, in the meeting room, who's leading the meeting room and who's breaking down the film with them. And I assume, like Alex said, I assume there is going to be some collaboration there. I can't imagine Brandon Staley is going to be like uninvolved with this group either because that's how he made his, that's how he made his rise up as as an outside linebackers coach, technically. Um, so that, that coaching staff, I think is going to be fine. And like I said, I, I think there is going to be collaboration between the two. Some days it'll be Rogers with the edge rushers. Other days it'll be Giff Smith and like Joey Bosa loves Giff. Right. So I can't imagine that Giff is never going to work with him again.
2: Both the edges and the tackles will both play Kahoot. We know that. So (laughs) (laughs) they will play Kahoot. Um, All right, guys, any thoughts
1: on any other thoughts on the defensive tackle room before we wrap up today's show? I'm not frozen. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> just an awkward silence there waiting for Alex. Tyler, any thoughts on the defensive tackle room?
2: Uh,
3: no, I'm happy to be over the defensive tackle group because this is the
1: group I know the least about. So I have we move on from <laughs> them to somewhere else. That's why, I, uh, that's why I figured we'd start with them, you know, be, be able to get it <laughs> all the way quicker. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be able to sure. do this uh, with several of the position groups, you know, like I said, um, you know, for the next couple of weeks as a preparation for a training camp. Can't wait for that to start up in, in about five weeks or so. Um, hopefully getting some other interviews as well. I've, I've been emailing back and forth with Jeff Duncan of The Athletic, who uh, is the author of the Peyton and Breeze book, which I've been reading. So um, hopefully that is coming in the next couple of weeks. And uh, as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave us a rating or a view. <laughs> um, enjoy Tyler's blue screen with our logos across of Melvin Gordon's jersey.